Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University class of 1985. My great pleasure once again to be back with you today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you instead of utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and a resulting outcome. And one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models, role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time, the season of summer, when rest and reflection are key. However, there is nothing more that can intrude on rest and reflection than being stuck. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. His name is Dr. Patrick McCreesh. Patrick is the managing partner of Symmetry, a strategy, analytics, and technology consultancy. He leads teams through digital transformations and has developed analytics programs across the public sector and Fortune 500 clients. He's also the co-author of a very enlightening and wonderful book, Stuck, How to Win at Work by Understanding Laws. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Patrick. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. The honor is all ours. Can we tell the listeners from what city and state you are speaking from this morning, please? Yeah, absolutely. I'm here in Vienna, Virginia, and my home. Oh, beautiful part of God's country, that's for sure. Patrick, sorry to say we've only got about 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about your incredible life, uh, this wonderful book of yours, Stuck. But before we jump into the book, let me share with the listeners and me a little bit about just who is Patrick, please. Yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an advisor. I'm a teacher. I'm a father. You know, I, I advise companies. I help uh, all kinds of individuals think through their challenges, whether they're technology focused, whether they're organizationally focused, uh, and, and try to help senior leaders figure out what to do to advance their organization. And that organization may be in the private sector looking for profit, or it might be in the public sector looking to provide societal good. Uh, as a teacher, I, I, uh, I work at George Mason University and at Georgetown University, teaching courses on change management, leadership, and teams. And, uh, and I take that into research and writing, such as, such as Stuck, and we're gonna, that we're going to talk about. And, uh, you know, as a father, I have four little girls, and I spend my time trying to help them uh, figure out how to navigate the world that we live in. That is amazing. I don't know when you ever have time to sleep with four girls and uh, with all these other tremendous responsibilities. We are so lucky, Patrick, to have someone of your ilk today on Thank God for Monday. Let's jump right into the deep end of the pool. The title of your book is Stuck. 
Help us out, please, Patrick. How do we get stuck? Yeah, we get stuck whenever we're in a situation that appears to be different than uh, what we're used to. So whatever that may be, it could be that we're it's a personal situation where we're dealing with some sort of uh, loss in our life, or it could be in a work situation where something has changed. Uh, and that change causes us to react in a negative way. And, and, and it's actually a biological reaction that we're having uh, where we're accessing things from our past to keep us right where we are, even though we know we need to react. And, and in a logical way, we know we need to do something. But what, what is kicking in is this biological reaction that we have that is really uh, accessing our, our past memories, our emotion, and, and that's keeping us grounded right where we are and incapable of moving forward. And so a lot of times what people often call things like resistance or uh, laziness is really this biological reaction kicking in. And that's what causes us to get stuck. And so that may manifest itself in an inability for us to move forward in our personal lives or organizationally in the things that we need to get done. Oh, this is quite revealing, no doubt about that. Now, I think you started to answer this question a little bit, but maybe we could peel the onion a little bit more for our listeners and for me in particular. What does getting stuck, well, what does it really look like, if you will? Yeah, so it, it looks like in any organization, you can imagine that person that you've gone to and said, I need you to do this. And you see that almost fear in their eyes of them reacting and going, uh, and, and the almost panic starts to emerge. And, and so what, what stuck really is, is that reaction, that moment when you are asking someone to do something or you have been asked to do something and you're not capable of making the change and not capable of moving forward. And, and that, that in, in, inability to move forward um, and in the moment or over a longer period of time in a, major, in a much more important situation uh, is, is really what we're talking about. Wow, oh, this is amazing. Now, what really drew me to this book and to you, uh, not only your great background, but the title stuck, but this subtitle, How to Win at Work by Understanding Loss. I had 30 years in big pharmaceuticals before becoming a Franciscan brother of Brooklyn, and loss certainly was not a part of it or was not something we talked about much. What role does loss have in business? Help us out, please, Patrick. Yeah, and, and this is one of the things that, it, that, is, that is critically important to, to start to connect with in the workplace. We ask people all the time to connect with us, uh, to, to build organizations, to find out uh, about our culture, to, to understand what we're trying to do, either as a team, as a company, uh, as, a, as a university, whatever it may be. But then we change something. And when we make that change, what we're doing is we're introducing some sort of new direction for people. And there actually is a sense of loss for the prior work. So, so loss is really just the unexpected disappearance of something that you expected to be there. It's something that 
you know, it, 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 it's akin to walking into your office every day, sitting down in the chair that you're sitting down in, except one day you walk into the office and the chair isn't there. You've lost something. There is a sense of loss and that sense of loss and calling it loss is important because it is loss that triggers that biological response that I already referenced, which, which comes into our brain and then triggers an entire set of emotions and memories associated with that experience. And, and, and part of that, it, and part of what's valuable in understanding that is that too often then we, we think of ourselves as always in, in organizations that we're always giving things, we're always giving things to customers, we're always giving things to employees, but sure. often we're not, we're taking things away. And so if we, if we accept that we are taking some things away, it makes it easier to have a real conversation we are taking some things away and we're giving at the same time. And that, that acceptance of that loss will actually help us translate better conversations to our employees and our customers. Maybe this is a poor analogy, if you will, but we're going through a situation. I'm in the Mission Ministry Interfaith Dialogue Group at St. Francis College, and we're moving. Our campus is literally moving about three blocks away. And I have to say, now I've been here about 12 years. We have some people here 20, 30 years. There's almost a sense of loss. Does this make sense to you, Patrick? Yeah, that's exactly what I, that's a great example because we, while we often go to things around technology because so many organizations face that, there are things like mergers and acquisitions, office moves for, for entire organizations or even individuals that can trigger the same thing. So for years, you've built up this mental model of coming to the same place, to the same office, to the same set of people around you. And now that is going to change. That mental model has sat in your brain. Maybe it's about the way you drive to the office. Maybe it's about the way you walk down the hall, where you get your cup of coffee, how it smells as it bounces off the walls. All of these things are triggers, or it's just the faces you see along the walk. Now, all of that is going to change in some way and you will feel a sense of loss. And that's okay as long as we acknowledge it and we're able to work with it in an effective way. And we can get more into that. Good, good. Thank you very, very much. Now, the core of your book is really about how the brain drives our behavior in business. We started talking about that. You have this line about how our business and technology are the hair, but our brain is the tortoise explaining that the tortoise will always win. Help me out, please. What do you mean by all this? Yeah, so, so we, know that, we know that the human brain has evolved you know, over thousands of years and uh, our technology is evolving over thousands of seconds. There's, there's this disconnect between how quickly our human brain evolves and how quickly the world around us is asking us to evolve. And we have to acknowledge that disconnect. That's the tortoise. The tortoise is the brain. In any organization, an organization is just people. The number of people that you have is the number of potential opinions you're going to have on anything. <laughs> Those opinions are coming from the brain. So in reality, what we're dealing with is, let's call it a thousand person organization. You're dealing with a thousand under-evolved brains for the organizational challenges that you have today. And you're asking those th thousand perfectly intelligent, wonderful people and their under-involved brains, I have it too, to, to take on technology that's evolving at a, at a rapid pace 
that truly is the hair with, with Moore's law and beyond going on this exponential curve. We can't keep up and we shouldn't be expected to. What, what we have to do as organizations and as people is look for that personal human side in our fellow, uh, fellow employees and colleagues when we have to find that we're all struggling with the tortoise. And I think what we can start to get into here now is deep in the brain, what is that mechanism? What's sitting there and causing that? And it's, and it's sitting in our limbic system, which is the middle part of our brain. It's the middle evolutionary wise, we have the, this, the, what is often called the reptilian brain, which is our reactive side. Then we have this middle brain, this limbic system where things are really about memory and emotion. And then we have this upper, the upper part of our brain, which is all about logic. Too often we're trying to solve the memory and emotional problems with logic. And it doesn't oh. work. Wow, that is something. Now, one of the things I was fascinated on in this book of yours stuck, a concept that you call, I don't know if you call it MEL or capital M, capital E, capital L. What is this MEL and what does it really mean for us, please? Yeah, if you remember the old show, um, Mel's Mel's Diner, right, or something? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's what got me excited about calling this Mel because then you get this this sense of this crotchety old person behind a diner, like you cooking things up. Like that's what's going on in our brain. That's Mel. Or if you choose, you know, from a feminine side, Melanie, that's fine. But you've got you've got this thing in your brain called Mel, and just picture Mel's Diner. Mel is memory, emotion, and learning. And memory, emotion, and learning are at the heart of why we get stuck. It is our past memories that are, are working in cooperation or in collaboration with our emotions and, and our learnings. And it's important to think of these three things happening together, because too often what we think of is that we can somehow win over someone's emotions without acknowledging their memories or that we can win over their emotions by giving them something that will just be an emotional response and not helping them to learn new behavior. But in reality, all three of these coexist. So for example, as a child, one of the first memories you may have might be being with your parents at a table, having food. Mm -hmm. What you're doing in that memory is you are developing an emotion of that positive experience but the memory is bringing with it all kinds of sensory experiences. And those sensory experiences are the visual, the, 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 the auditory, the, 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 the nostrils of the smell, like oh, the taste. Wow. All of that forms together with the emotion, which is why then you can smell something in the future and say, wow, and you get this positive feeling associated with that memory that has a sensory experience. But it also is learned. So it can be learned behavior, like what I was describing earlier of sitting down in your chair or walking to your office. You learned the, those patterns. Those things didn't just come to you. And in learning those patterns, you formed memories and emotions as well. So memory, emotion, and learning, MEL, are, are all linked together. And anytime we change something, what we're doing is we're triggering MEL, either for the better or for the worse. And oftentimes it's for the worse because people hear that something's changing and they go into a negative place of their memory, emotion, and learning. And, and a big emotional system that they're triggering is fear. And, and that, that emotional uh, system of 
one time I lost something, someone, and it wasn't positive, comes out in spades. And so that's what we're dealing with in our organizations and in our personal lives. I loved your story there of the child being at the table, for me, just a, a huge smile. I could just think back to uh, the seven of us being together, my mother, father, and five uh, children. Uh, on Sunday, the smell of that sausage and the meatballs and the sauce. Ah, yes. So yes. I could see I'm, I'm starting to get a feel how all this works, certainly. That was very interesting about stuck. You say this impact of Mel and loss, not only at the individual level, but groups and actually the entire organization. How does this all unfold, Patrick? Yeah, so at the individual level, what we're dealing with is that, that, that Mel comes to the office with you every day. You can't avoid it. Uh, it's, it's all of your memory, emotion, and learning that you've had your entire life. So it is the first time that you were left alone as a child uh, and from your parents uh, created a certain set of emotions that were maybe the first time you ever had exposure to things like fear and loss. But then as you grew up, you then maybe you went out into an independent state of life and you adjusted or didn't adjust those emotions in a positive way. All of those things developed into a profile of your memory, emotions, and, and learning that became your personal Mel. But when you come into a team setting, just imagine you said seven of you sitting at a table. I'm going to take that seven people sitting at a, at a conference table and say, you each have your own Mel. And each of your Mel's are interacting. So while you may be sitting there saying, I've never felt anything but positive emotions my entire life, congratulations if you have, that the person next to you is saying, I've never felt anything but negative emotions my entire Ooh. life, nothing but anxiety. And, and so what you can't, you have to acknowledge that even in that small group of seven people that you're gonna have different profiles of that. And that those different profiles are different styles. And we talk about in the book, they're different, they're called a different attachment styles. That's kind of the, the clinical name for them. We apply them to the workplace and show how those different styles play out in the way that you interact and work in teams. But then you have to take that to the organizational level and say that if I am a leader of an organization and I want to build a corporate culture or an organizational culture, then I'm going to want to understand the mel that everybody's coming with in an ideal world. Wow. It's really hard. And then you're going to build this great corporate culture and sooner or later, you're going to have to change it. And when you change it, you're going to be reacting, getting those reactions right back at you of, of everyone's mel coming again. So it really does inform everything about the workplace. This is really fascinating. I no doubt about it. Now, clearly, your beliefs focus very much on the brain. As a Franciscan, uh, you may know, we're very heart-centered. Does the heart have a role at all in becoming unstuck? And if so, what's the role, please, Patrick? I, I think the heart is critical to it. And in fact, I think part of what we're doing here is uh, perhaps differentiating the part of the brain that's connected to the heart, if that makes sense, because we're pulling out those, those, emotionals, those emotional factors that impact the workplace. And, and a lot of times people will, will negatively say that someone is acting emotionally at work 
or they're, or they're acting logically at work. The reality is that most people are acting emotionally. We don't think first when we hear something, oh, that's a logical response. We, we react emotionally. We almost sure. always do. It's, it's later as we learn about things and we calm the emotional side. So when we learn, we calm Mel. So when we, we learn, we can, we can ease the emotion down, then we can get into a logical conversation. So I do think that the heart has a lot to do with this. I think you have to come to the office as a leader with a sense of heart, with a sense of, of, of good doing that you want to bring to the people in your organization. If you don't bring that to the office with a desire to understand the emotional state of your employees, you won't be able to help them through difficult times. I mean, obviously the pandemic was a great example of this. Everyone was overturned at once. Everyone's Mel was activated simultaneously wow. on, on essentially March 13th, 2020 for a lot of organizations, their Mel triggered and leaders were accepting men. It brought out a lot of great leadership traits in many organizations. Those can't be lost. They have that heart has to continue. Oh, that's so beautiful. Certainly. Now, might you have an example or a story of an organization that has very successfully applied the concepts contained in this great book stuff? Yeah, I think there's there's stories throughout the book. We we try to start every chapter with a with a kind of anonymized story to protect the innocent. And then throughout the book, we use a lot of our data that we've collected over the years uh, on applying different tool sets. So my colleague, Victoria Grady, has built these wonderful tools where you can actually measure both the individual and the organizational level of uh, what we call attachment in the organization. So how it's doing with its memory, emotion, and learning. And then what we do is try to tell the story of those different organizations through the data, and then kind of how that played out. And so there's there's a number of different ways. Now, I can't tell you that any organization has taken everything and done it perfectly because no organization has, no person sure. has that way, right? But I think that there are some positives that we can that we can share. So for example, one organization that we highlight in the book was really focused on uh, deploying this technology across, uh, uh, deploying a technology across a lot of different regions. And what they did is they tried to understand the entire population of the, of the organization first. And then what they saw is that different regions had different types of attachments. So there were different things that they were connected to in the organization that would trigger that sense of loss. And, and so by finding that out, and in some cases it's leaders, in some cases it's the office, in some cases it might just be the geography, by understanding what those different things were, the organization was able to tailor different solutions to those different locations. Wow. And that's a key thing because a lot of times when an organization goes through a major change, they assume that it's a one size fits all and that there's a this concept of what's in it for me and sure. that the what's in it for me will be the same for every employee. We know that's not true. I've already talked to you through why that shouldn't be true. Now what we have to do is figure out how to tailor solutions that help those organizations figure out what's in it for each person, uh, not just collectively. Ah, uh, that really makes so much sense. Now, I'm not sure if I've made you aware, I'm actually a recovering CPA. 
Oh, okay. The bad news is my recovery is not going so well because numbers and bottom line is still a part of my DNA. Is there a financial impact to applying these concepts in your book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you go to make a major organizational change, you can have a, a significant loss in productivity if you don't think about these, these things. And I think that's probably the biggest one. So I mentioned we have two unique tools. We actually have three, but two that are relevant to this conversation. The one that's probably most important is measuring how the organization is doing across a series of attributes like morale, motivation, but one of those attributes is productivity. And so if you understand how your employees are doing both before uh, and after a particular change, you can know whether you've had a productivity loss. And obviously that productivity loss has a huge impact on the bottom line. And so then how would you use that information? Well, you can identify and trigger who are the middle managers or the employee leaders that are helping keep productivity up during a difficult time? Who are those leaders who need additional support? And notice, I didn't say who are the middle managers who need to be fired. I said, <laughs> who are the ones who need additional support? Because not all managers and leaders are created equal. Some are good for certain situations. Some need additional support in other times. You know, likewise, you know, speaking maybe more to your, to your CPA side, a lot of times we go through these big accounting system switches, right? So let's say we're bringing in a new accounting software. If you don't use that software to the fullest of its potential, you will lose value in that huge implementation. So getting people to not only say, yes, I will log into the software, but actually use it to the fullest of its potential. And they may not do that if they really love their Excel files. So you have to get them to switch from their Excel files into the new software. And part of the reason they love those Excel files, memory, emotion, and learning, Mel, they're attached to them. They love working with them. And you have to help them understand how the new environment is going to feel the same as the old and create that new emotional attachment. Uh, that is absolutely spot on. Now, sorry to say we've only got about three and a half minutes, but I got two very important final questions. Sure. Very curious, please, Patrick. The hybrid workplace, is it a challenge for organizations? Is it an opportunity for organizations? Could it be possibly both? Yeah, it's definitely both. I think the opportunity is that you can create these great, comfortable workplaces for for your individual employees. So we just talked about how everybody has a different Mel. Well, now they can live that out the way that makes the most sense to them. And, you know, I do think that for for most organizations that that's probably two to three days in the office, two to three days at home. And people are going to figure out how to balance that to get the best out of both work and life, because it is mostly work-life integration, not work-life balance that we're driving toward these days. However, I would say there's two things to consider with that. The first is because of the way Mel works, that means your emotions and your learnings that happen in one place may not transfer completely to another because you get used to your physical surroundings. And so if you're used to plugging in to a computer in an office and now it's at home, that's a change. Likewise, if you're in the office and you hear information, you may not necessarily remember it at home because you're not in the same situation. So there's things that people are going to have to adjust to and we have to be aware. The second and most important thing is creating culture. 
creating culture in a hybrid workspace is going to be different. And especially in those apprentice-based roles where you need people to learn by watching and doing alongside. Uh, and so you need to be cognizant of that. Absolutely. We've saved the most important question for last, Patrick. From where can our loyal listeners purchase Stuck? How can they best follow you, please? Sure. They can certainly find Stuck on, on Amazon or on, on our publisher's website, uh, Rutledge, directly. Um, you can also follow me on, um, on Instagram, uh, at Patrick McCreesh, uh, or on uh, LinkedIn. You can track most of my stuff there, uh, also on, on Twitter. Uh, and then, of course, we're always putting everything onto the company's website, which is symmetry1.com, uh, spelled S-I-M-A-T-R-E-E, -E, the number one.com. Patrick, thanks so much. And listeners, I want to spell out for you Patrick's name just to make sure you can find this great book and him all over the place. Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K. McCreesh is M-C-C-R-E-E-S-H. Do yourselves a favor. Pick up one of these great books. Not only for yourself, give one to a friend, give one to a colleague. It'll make a tremendous difference in your work life and in your work organization as well. Dr. Patrick McCreesh, thank you for being our very special guest today. You've enlightened us much more. You've inspired us on this uh, morning show today. Thank God for Monday. Continued success, joy in your great business work and with that wonderful family, those four beautiful girls of yours. All the best and thanks for your service to Seton Hall University this morning and always. Thank you. Have a great day. Listeners, sadly, once again, we're out of time. Greg Sanger, hope and prayer is that. When you wake up on Monday morning, just like Patrick does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye.